Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. My special guest today is Steve Pockross, CEO of Verblio here in Denver, Colorado. Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Great to have you. So tell us a little bit about what Verblio does at a high level, Steve. Sure. We are a Denver-based company. We have uh, we are a content creation marketplace platform, which means that we have a network of 3,000 highly curated writers who write on our SaaS content creation platform, which manages and enhances platform, uh, manages and enhances content uh, for about, and we, we do that. So what that really means is we create any type of web content from blogs to landing pages to white papers. Uh, and we turn them uh, often turn them into videos and we produce about 80,000 pieces of unique content per year for mm. 40 different verticals and a uh, thousand different clients per month. Wow. That's pretty impressive. Um, of those 3000 uh, people who do your writing, how many of those are full-time employees? Um, none of them. We don't, uh, all of our writers are freelancers and it's a wow. critical part of our model is to create, we want to create the, cre- the freelance model for the future of how do you create great opportunities for freelancers mm-hmm. and really think the next level of uh, the first level of freelance work has all been about much more commodity, either commoditized work like humans as the, as widgets in the Uber system where you're sure. just delivering the service mm-hmm. or something like a Craigslist or an Upwork where you're, can, you're doing matchmaking of talent, but you're not really delivering a service. So what could it be like to actually create ongoing opportunities with development and, and reliable work and, um, and, uh, and future for success for the next level of freelancers? And we think about that a lot. Oh, that's super cool. Uh, you're privately held, yeah? Yes. And the company was founded in 2011. Um, how, is the, how is the company funded? How has it been funded? It has been 100% bootstrapped, uh, so, which is a crazy, crazy part of our story. We are approaching $10 million a year a month, and there are very few comps of other companies that are at this level that, without taking funding. So we're deeply proud of it, and it's a big part of our culture. Uh, it's also a very strange way to run a business if you've already if you've only run an investor funded business your mm-hmm. whole life, which mostly I have. So this is my first time uh, playing with this puzzle. It uh, it has a lot of rewarding aspects to it, which is that you really have just know that the right thing for your customers and your business is the thing that you get to focus on. You never get misled by investors who have oh, their yeah. own agenda, mm-hmm. uh, and that freedom is priceless. I also spend so little of my time managing my board. My board basically says, go make the company successful and le- and leaves me the freedom to do it versus CEOs who spend 30, 50% of their time managing a board. Mm-hmm. And on the negative side, you have the bootstrap piece, which is when you see a giant opportunity, you get to go fund it a year later after you make enough money to actually fund those positions as opposed right. to doing it in advance. So what would, so, I mean, that's a really good point. So have you given any consideration to taking any institutional financing? Uh, it's. I think about it a lot, and I think there's going to be a phase where it's very clear 
either on the product side or the kind of the predictable revenue, the sales marketing side, mm-hmm. where a lot more investment would move us quicker. I right. think we're pretty. I think we're getting pretty close to figuring out how to how to how to accelerate that sales cycle. But I want to make sure that we would find the absolute right investor who aligns right. with us uh, based on some past experiences where it didn't work, didn't make as much sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I, I hear you loud and clear. And you said you're at about 10 million in annual revenue. Yes. Okay. Very good. How much have you been growing year over year? Uh, last year during the pandemic, we grew 30% and we grew 50% the year before that. And we should grow 50% again this year. That's wonderful. Well, you know, and, and when you bring in institutional financing uh, funding, you know, they may want larger growth than you're prepared for. And, and you know, not that that's a bad thing, but there can be some challenges in and of itself that come that come from that, right? I think so too, especially when you're a, a services where delivering the service with high mm-hmm. quality is deeply important to your clientele. Mm-hmm. You can't mess with that. Yeah. Customer acquisition can't be your first priority. It has to be delivering high quality product. Mm-hmm. And do you have a particular um, market or size of company that you, that you sell into? Or are you all over the map? It's interesting. So the, the, the focus of our company, which makes it very hard to target our sales, is companies that either do or want to produce high quality content at scale. Right. And so a big part of our, of our network, two thirds of our revenue comes from digital marketing agencies who this is solves a major pain point for them. Imagine you're an agency, you have 30 clients, each one of them, you have to deliver 10 to 20 pieces of content mm-hmm. for, for every month. They're in 10 different verticals. They could be writing about forklift technology. They could be writing about, you know, about the Kardashians, who knows what right, they're writing right, about. Yeah. You need writers that can write about all of those, all of that variety. And it's not the same person. Um, so, and then managing and interacting on all of those pieces of content on one platform that makes keeping track of where they are in the development cycle is actually a big problem for them. Mm-hmm. So digital agencies are about two thirds, but then the other third is really people who are trying to do content at scale and think of it as their marketing advantage. Mm. And so those could be uh, companies that are focused on one single product and they've just labeled SEO as the way to, to, to stand out and others who are using content in really creative ways. People are, because it was hard to do a capability like this before marketers aren't thinking about what would I do if I could produce 2000 pieces of legal content a month? I have a client doing 1200 unique pieces of content with us per month. Wow. Completely dominating their industry. And another who's doing 400 pieces of legal content that's all reviewed by lawyers. We put together this pool of lawyers to review it, but no one else can, if no one else can do that, that gives you an advantage as a marketer to think about what would I do with that? Right. um, And to stand up. So it really goes from all of that. And then we just have a lot of small businesses that you just use us for the super standard. We're going to get our four blogs done a month and just mm-hmm. have, make sure that it gets done consistently and well. That's really interesting. Um, what would you say is the biggest problem that you're solving for your clients? Um, or, or the top three? <laughs> yeah, like the, the, the entire challenge of content creation is really hard, um, which is you, the two existing solutions on the market are you can find individuals and contract with them and hope they're available when you need them, but they're highly expensive. And then you get a lot of quality, but you get no scale flexibility and affordability. Mm -hmm. Or on the other side, you have like a generic marketplace that only like you make sure it happens every month, but the quality is not where it is. They don't really get your business or your vertical. Right. Um, and so finding some place in between that also makes it manageable. Um, cause it takes a lot of work, but we, 
it takes a lot of work to produce client, uh, content, even when you're hiring a service like Verblio. You still have to do a lot of work to share your preferences. What do you like? If you don't like, let writers know what you like, what's good, and right. warn them to what's valuable for your for your end client to hear, you're going to get pretty bad content back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the biggest the biggest challenge we solve is the overall content creation challenge. And mm-hmm. within that is the identifying writers, managing the content, and uh, making sure it gets done with as little uh, as, as little management impact as possible. How you know? So that's a great comment. Your your point about getting the writers. You, know, you said you've got about three thousand people around around the world doing this for you. How do you find them? How do you how do you qualify them? How do you make sure they know what they're doing? So there's there's two pieces to that. One is um, if you create great opportunities for freelancers in the world, people will find you and you'll have way more people to, to uh, come into your door than you need. So we right. don't even advertise. Uh, there's word of mouth in the writer community that we are a great place to write. We offer premium prices. We offer the ability to choose what you work on, freedom of work, and uh, we make it a pretty exciting place to be. We ask the writers to take on more of the risk in order to get that. But mm. Getting writers to come to our system or to our platform is not the challenging part. The hard part is we accept 4.5% of them to even compete for our clients on our platform. So curating talent becomes the true challenge of the, the modern the modern marketplace that's trying to develop services. Interesting. So if I were wanting to come to Verblio to have some work done, do I, you know, log onto your platform? How do I go about doing that? Yep, you can log into our platform and we guide the writers through it and there'll be a writer test. They'll uh they'll we'll ask you to look at a, a piece of, you know, a, a piece of your content and then we'll kind of give you access to prove your way up. So each of our writers is writing based on spec, so they find the clients that fit them based on their mm. expertise and their style. Um and so the client gets the choice of either accepting the piece of content or not. And so uh, the clients accept about 95% of them. So the system does work, but that extra risk put onto the writers of doing the matching themselves does a couple things. One is that pro- the client no longer has to look for writers. You're not looking at people's pictures and profile pictures, which we think is an antiquated way to find your freelancers. You should be looking at their product and their talent. I agree. It also really helps on the diversity, equity, and inclusiveness front that you're not, there's no biases. It is only the writing that you're you're reviewing on. It also means that you're going to get a lot, a lot more speed of our platform. So in general, you might look at a 30-day turnaround time for putting a request in at a competitor. And our average turnaround time between your request and writing a piece is 48 hours. Wow. That's fantastic. Um, tell us a little bit. I mean, the company's been in business for 10 years. You've been with them for almost five as a CEO. Um, tell us a little bit about your journey to where you are today and and what had you join this particular organization? Cool. I'll, I'll see if I can make my life story as uh, succinctly as possible, which is also <laughs> not my gift. Um, I started my career uh, in nonprofits. I was focused on innovative nonprofits that were trying to solve community development problems mm. like small business development and affordable housing. And so my what I became obsessed with was the concept of community development finance institutions. They're called CDFIs if you're geeking out on this type of thing. In general, it's how do you use finance in an innovative way and apply it philanthropically in order to get community development work mm-hmm. done. And so I became obsessed with this. I worked like I did 
five free internships. I proved that I could work for free for anybody in the world uh, and eventually did affordable housing finance, which I found really cool, but also really slow. And then I found my way into small business development. I was working in micro lending, um, which uh, is a little more well-known in the industry. And I ended up working for the Brazilian Development Bank uh, mm-hmm. for a year consulting on how to do micro lending in Brazil. Then mm-hmm. I came back and I was excited to get my MBA. And all I was going to do was go back and do this big time. And I graduated in the middle of the dot bomb in 2002. Awesome. And, uh, where you do what you can do versus what mm-hmm. you should do. Mm-hmm. And, I ended, and I figured I would go work for a bank and pick up some of those finance skills so I could go back and use them for community development. Uh, and somehow out of that, I got hired in my first startup, which was a marketplace plus SaaS company that was focused in 2004. It was before they had the words, before we use this, these, this jargon, marketplace and SaaS. Right. Um, we were basically known as a 20,000 home-based moms working on a virtual platform. We didn't, um, And it was a bunch of the early Netscape guys. There were two of the first five Netscape engineers were on our team. Wow. Uh, the chief operating officer of eBay come on board to be our CEO. We grew from $8 million when I started to $150 million. And wow. I was employee 30 and we grew to 450 And I just, I watched the ride and got to be a big part of it. And my job was super cool. I was uh, the VP of business development strategy by the end. And what I was doing was innovating new business models on top of a platform that was a SaaS platform, so virtually how do you deliver any work type mm-hmm. with thousands of home-based workers that if you can figure out how to deliver the service and how to curate them right, you could do anything. And so I love that job and I was there for about eight years. It was a fundamental part mm-hmm. of my experience. And it brought together a lot of the things I talked about in nonprofit, about passion, changing the world and creating unique jobs. And you know, once we get into startup world and nonprofits and we talk about changing the world, it's a take everything with a grain of salt. There's a profit incentive involved as well. And, uh, it's the, uh, um, uh, you know, the Google's do no evil eventually catches up to them. But I do think that creating all these opportunities, like when I was working in small business development, we were creating like hundreds of jobs a year. And now I'm creating thousands of great freelancer mm-hmm. jobs. So there was a lot of, you know, a lot of win-win involved. And I thought the, the balance of passion, Having resources to do it, which is really different than nonprofits. Wow, you spend so much just time just trying to figure out how do you stay solvent as a nonprofit and who to sell your story to, mm-hmm. uh, and the ability to really create uh, unique solutions that nobody's done before on the marketing side. All three of those just, you know, they just uh, overwhelm me with this is what I should really be doing. So I moved back to Denver from the Bay Area in 2010, mm-hmm. and I started exploring the tech scene here. And how could I find anything even vaguely like that? And I bopped around a few places, and eventually I lucked out by finding found by being introduced to the founders of Verblio, who had created a similar model right. with my former company as one of their inspirations, and had grown it to two million dollars. And basically, they were the the, the founding CEO said he should never manage a team of more than three people. And he was up to 12 and was looking for somebody who could scale it to the millions and millions. And I am deeply grateful to those two for, uh, for starting this company and giving me an amazing opportunity because it's like they wrote a job description for me and, mm. and me alone. And, uh, and uh, it's my first time being a CEO and it's been super cool. The uh, super cool to, to learn on, on the job. It's very different from any job that I've ever done before. And, uh, if you haven't done before, it's hard to describe. So what would you say have been um, your biggest challenges? So the first, so the biggest challenge all around is always about talent. 
Yeah. Um, and so it is about finding the right people. Yeah. And it's not just finding them. It's you have to have a, you have to engage them and have the right mm-hmm. story for them. And so mm-hmm. I feel like I call it a people first strategy. I think you call it a talent first strategy. I don't think there's that much difference between those two. Yeah. Um, but the, the way I think of it is what does it take to actually run a people first strategy versus mm-hmm. what does everybody say in the cliche world of, of course, I believe in people first. And so to me, it's, it's, it's exactly the same as product marketing. Like, what am I offering these people that they can't get anywhere else? Right. Who am I targeting that's different than everybody else? Because if I hire, if I'm looking for that Salesforce number one salesperson, like everybody else's, then what, what are we doing out here? Find something unique for us. It's mm-hmm. quirky, intellectual, liberal arts types who are deeply curious, who have not been there, done it before, mm-hmm. who are willing to figure things out. And in exchange for that, how do I manage them? Well, I get it. I invest instead of hiring a salesperson, I hired an executive coach to coach up my team because they can't be successful without it. Wonderful. How do we think about goals and culture to be a place where these people want to go? So then you build your people product is into a culture that they want to come to. So we have a, you know, we're a writing company. We should be quirky. We should be fun. Our Slack channel should be the funnest place that you've ever Mm -hmm. been. We have a book club every month with the court, like just a random assortment of what we read for the month and what else everybody else wants to read where we're (laughs) sharing like crazy or we have a brainstorming channel and all sorts of like our puppy channel is incredibly well populated. I wanted a company that really wanted to interact with each other and found it to be, if we're going to spend all of our time here, we should really enjoy working with the other people here in Mm -hmm. addition to doing our jobs. So I think all of those three things really came together. And I'll, I'll add one more piece to that, which is like uh, one thing that we think about with our people first strategy, once you create the, your culture is your product and you target the right people, mm-hmm. then how do you actually address them? And I think our job descriptions are part of our marketing offer that really anybody can do. It's available to all of you. Uh, it is one of the most generic forms of how to find con- or find your people that people just don't put enough into. So we made ours incredibly funny. If I don't laugh three times, our job rec doesn't go live. And so we want the other person to laugh three times and also be inspired by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we really look at our job recs, uh, the way we write up our offers as a job descriptions is a is another unique advantage. Where's the places you can get in as a small guy and attract bigger people than you'd normally be able to get otherwise. Mm-hmm. And, and you have about what 30 full-time employees here in town that's about right not all in town not all in town so they're, they're strewn about okay um what is it it, it you know if if somebody were were you know listening to this podcast and listening to your story and thinking gosh this is a i think i might like to work for this company what you know what would you say they should do um, well, we post all of our jobs as we're legally required to do. <laughs> um, so go to our About Us page and check out what we're hiring for. Uh, if you're a writer, uh, please sign up as a writer and uh, and 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 check us out. And, mm-hmm. and hopefully we live up to it. But our our website, yeah, we're a writing company and we try to make our website as interactive and fun as possible. So right. if you're interested in looking at verblio.com, uh, it should be a fun place to be in particular, like, Looking at the landing pages for the distinct verticals is particularly mm-hmm. fun, like the cannabis mm-hmm. industry writing mm-hmm. that we do. We do a lot of cannabis industry writing. You know, especially here in town. It would, that wouldn't surprise me a bit. Deeply entertaining page. Yeah, I, I'll, have, I'll have to go look at that. I'm sure it's quite entertaining. Um, so uh, to just step on the shoulders a little bit of what you just said about, you know, just, you know, somebody could just go to our website. We have all our jobs posted. Um 
how does somebody know they're not going to fall into the black hole of internal recruiting and never hear from you again? Yeah. Well, the good thing that's, I, I think is a really important point. I'm glad you brought that up. It's mm-hmm. a really important pr- proof point. We've all been there. I've been there. I spent a lot of time moving in and out of non-pro or of, uh, of startups because startups are not the most stable lifestyle. No, if you're not. looking for stability, you should mm-hmm. choose something else, mm-hmm. especially new product development in startups. That is the highest risk, mm-hmm. uh, position in the highest risk or in the highest uh, risk companies. And so we spend a lot, we just make sure that we respond to everybody. I just put it as a cultural mm-hmm. value. It doesn't mm-hmm. live up to our values if we don't at least let you know where you are in the process. So yeah, very good. If you don't get a note back, let me know. Good. That's good Be to hear. Good. Um, so do you have any direct competitors in the industry? Kind of. Um, kind of, yeah. So, so, and I say that, that there's a, so the concept of marketplaces for writers is a concept that's existed for 10 years. And when right. I took it over five years ago, there were a lot of competitors that kind of play in, that play in the same space, which is lots of writers writing on a platform, trying to deliver content at scale. The piece that we take is really trying to figure out how to do this with quality. And I talked about some of the inverted marketplace mm-hmm. uh, dynamics that we use, like writers matching themselves and doing a lot more certifications by category, like could I go out and find a bunch of lawyers to be your editors? We can do that for any vertical, like digital marketing, like tech, mm-hmm. any of that. And we think the editors are a key part of getting the next level of quality. But other players in the space are crowd content, writer access, text broker, and a lot of them have come up with similar ideas. There's actually a lot of baggage in the in- industry from having so much mediocre, mediocre content for so long that we are... Right. That's part of what we have to fight through is to show that we are doing things better in a different way as, as we continually do get better is, uh, is part of the challenge. We want to be part of the group and we also want to lead the group into a new frontier. Would you say that um, mediocre content is one of, one of, if not the biggest thing your clients have wasted money on? Uh, I would say... It's interesting. Uh, Prior to coming to Verblio. <laughs> it's interesting because mediocre content was actually very successful as an SEO strategy until the last few years as content quality had to go up. Yeah. So I don't, the reason that it's never been this important before is because Google rewarded you for putting out lots of words on page if they were right. good enough quality. So good enough was okay until the last few years. And I'll give you one stat that I think is super interesting. So when I first came on board, our average blog post length was I think 350 words. Okay. It's now 1,250. That's in five years. The percent of content that we wrote over a thousand words was less than 5% five years ago. Now it is 70%. Hmm. It is the majority of the market is right and longer. It has to be more intense and that requires yeah. more, a lot more work on both sides, not just the writer, but the, the, the client has to think of all the, you know, has to work on sharing this expertise that the writer will write about. Mm. Um, so I don't think it is, is a big of a deal. It's like, I don't think meter, mediocre content is where they wasted the most money. I think it would be moving forward. It is to me, the biggest challenge is finding writers that are going to stick with you so that if you found a freelance writer who's available when you need for the amount of time that you have, that gets you great. You're in a lucky position, keep it. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you only need two or three of those, maybe you can do that on your own. But if you're going to try to find enough that you're trying to do a lot of content at scale, you're going to go back to those writers that are going to be busy sometime and your SEO strategy is not going to be consistent and Mm -hmm. you're going to fall in your goals. I, uh, I often say that my, 
One of my top five goals every year is to produce high quality content at a consistent scale by myself and my number or my, and it never falls into my top 30 priorities any given day. And so how do you get it done if it's not going to be part of your daily priorities? So right. help you with that. That's really interesting. What, uh, what bugs you about your industry? I think what bugs me the most about our industry is not thinking of the freelancers as part of your team. Yeah. So people, the freelancers are humans. They have, they want to excel. They want to be part of a community. Part of the community that we create is we have like a, an online forum where the writers come. We have writers who just barely write for us, who just want to be there and part of the water cooler. Mm-hmm. Um, we give them rewards and levels. Like mm-hmm. people still want to develop. They want to engage. They want right. to be valued for their work. They want mm-hmm. a reasonable amount of feedback. They just don't want to be serving the algorithm that shoots mm-hmm. them work. Mm-hmm. And so I, the thing that bugs me most is not thinking about freelancers as a part of your team and also one of your core constituencies that you should be serving. You should be marketing to them. Your blog should be about them. You should be interacting with them. They shouldn't just be the widget that you sell and, uh, and resell to the outside world. Yeah, that's really great. You know, I, I think too often, and I have this conversation frequently, too often people think that it's just about money for people. And I mean, the reality is, is we all need to make a living right? To pay our bills and live the lifestyle we want to live, et cetera. But I really believe, at least I know it's for me. And I I think, you know, just from our conversation that we've had, I would assert it's the same for you. People want to do good work. They do. And they They want to make a difference. They do. And they also want to be seen for it. Yeah. Yeah. That's really great. Um, you're, You're industry agnostic. Yeah. Yes. I, the, uh, on the front end of who we sell to, I'm industry agnostic. And on the back end, I really like the concept of freelance marketplaces with, with SaaS platforms. Mm-hmm. So who would you say, based on that, is your ideal client? You know, size or the type of company and what makes them ideal for you, if you even have an ideal client? Yeah, we don't. So we kind of go back to the, the former question. So we have... We have... Um, so agencies are like our sweet spot that we're, you know, we, we naturally tailor to them, but the th- things that I get the most excited about go back to this concept of people that are using our content as a competitive advantage. Mm-hmm. So what has never been done? So we have lead gen companies now that are trying to create with the big lead generation companies, like a home advisor type of thing mm-hmm. where they create more better content. They do it at scale and because their content's so good, they build their business on the back of our content. Um, and that's how they generate in their entire model. And the right. better my content is, and the more often I can post for them, the more money they make. Mm-hmm. To me, that gets really exciting. Mm-hmm. So, so how do your clients typically find you? Because you're Absolutely. you're writing, of course, it's like having a ghostwriter, right? They don't nobody, you know, right? They they don't know yeah. who's actually doing that writing. Most, I mean, so mo- so agencies know us. We are part of like we are a well-known name in the agency community. Sure. How do others, if you search for models of how to, how to, how to scale outsource content, well, we're pretty easy to find. And so our main marketing channel. Uh, so I told you that I didn't hire a salesperson. I didn't have an outbound salesperson until the end of this year. Right. And you, and you happen to know her. Um, and so we delayed on that and we focused all on creating great content that attracted the right people. So when they were looking for the right people, they would find us, but they would also resonate with what we'd written and they would know we were the right people for them. And so we bring in over a thousand cl- new clients every year without having a salesperson. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's pretty impressive. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. When it um, works, it 
terrible story if you build all that content and nothing happens. Though. Well, of course, right? <laughs> um, so it, 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 you, it, at 30 employees currently, where do you see yourself uh, putting your resources for growth for next, you know, over the next year? So part of being balanced is a part of being bootstrapped is being a balanced company. So we have to keep investing in each leg of the stool revenue Mm -hmm. side versus product and operations, like just back and forth. Mm -hmm. They all have to go up at the same time. We can't handle. Yeah. We couldn't handle an influx of doubling our, our business without doubling our, uh, our operations development and product team at the exact same time. So things are pretty consistent right now. We're hiring for, uh, our next level director of content marketing. We're hiring for a strategic accounts director. We're hiring for a couple engineers. We're hiring for uh, our next designer. And now we have three designers on the team when we had zero two years ago. It's amazing how important that is if you're creating a SaaS product to, mm-hmm. to interact with. And then we constantly have operations people that uh, that that we need great account executives and associates coming right out of undergrad to, mm-hmm. um, to handle all these great clients that we bring in. Mm-hmm. So if someone was was to start saying, you know, I'd like to get into this content creation industry as a business, what advice would you give them? Oh, trying to trying to start off with SEO. Oh, I would doing, say doing what you're doing. Yeah, I was. Company. Oh, to create a company like ours. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wanted to get into the industry. What kind of advice would you give them? I would say go incredibly niche. So mm-hmm. the only way that you're going to stand out is doing something that nobody else can do, especially if everyone else has been doing it longer and does it at higher scale. So mm-hmm. your choice, higher customer service and higher expertise for a smaller, smaller peg that's more important to you. So we, you know, we write about 10% of our content is in legal content, which is where we have a lot of our uh, we're most well-known in the industry, mm-hmm. but there's niches within legal. You could write legal briefs. You could mm-hmm. write legal briefs for the state of Illinois. You could do right. that for only five states and take a ton of work off of lawyer's time. So find the find the area that you could disrupt that wouldn't be big enough for somebody who's bigger than you to, mm-hmm. to want to come after you, but it could build a lot of value. That's really interesting. Um, you acquired a company by the name of Automagical about two years ago. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about the impetus behind that acquisition and what that company did and why you felt it would be a good addition to Verbalio? Yeah, yeah we acquired Automagical from, it was actually, the, the founder was one of the leads of the partnership program at HubSpot. And so what he was trying to do is follow HubSpot's vision that half of your content should be video. And mm-hmm. they didn't even have a video product when they said that. Mm-hmm. And so we we all know that there's this convergence of all the, all the different mediums of podcasts, of audio, of video and of written content. We're going to have to please each of our audiences and just get better and, uh, and more robust. And so what they did is they created a product that will take any blog post or any piece of written content and basically automatically turn it into a draft video. That's Mm. somewhere around 60 seconds long. Interesting. And so there's been a lot of companies that have done that before. For, or that are trying to do that right now and trying to figure out what's the what's the right solution for the next evolution mm-hmm. of of content. Is it, do you take the blog post and you turn it into a video and then you put the video inside the blog post and embed it to use it as the social marketing behind it? Mm-hmm. Like what's the use case that's really going to drive all of this video that we all think is coming? Um, and then a lot of the beliefs that we don't follow in the industry are that the machine can do it all. The machine can create this amazing video. Mm-hmm. We think the machine creates an amazing draft video. And then if you put a writer on top of that to edit it, we can dramatically lower your costs, keep the quality high, and then also do it at scale. And so now we're doing 
hundreds of thousands of, uh, of videos because we're using this tool to create them as opposed to just using the tool as a self-service tool. Uh, and that was a few years ago and we still want to invest a hell of a lot more into it. Um, but our business is growing super fast. So we're, we're hiring people to focus on the video side too. That's really, yeah, I, I've started using video and I love it. I, it's, you know, not enough people are using it. Um, I think it really adds a personal touch to messages. You know, we've, we, we've gone from a world of when I started 30 years ago, everything was done in oral communication, right? The internet hadn't come out when I started in my business. And, you know, then it, it, it transformed into people thinking it's okay to never talk to anybody. And, and I think things are starting to circle back because at least for myself personally, and you can, you can chime in on this. I'm sick and tired of just being lambasted with emails and LinkedIn spam all day long. Yep. Marketing's uh, marketing never stops. If what you're doing is working, then uh, it's not going to work in a couple of days. So keep looking yeah. at what's next. Yeah. When we, uh, when I post my podcast interviews every week, uh, I post them on LinkedIn. I include a video summary, a yeah. link to the video. I include a link to the iTunes and then I include a written summary as well. Yeah. Cause uh, and they're all attracting totally different audiences. So if I stopped doing one of those things, I would have a third of my audience. That's really interesting. Uh, what's your day-to-day look like as a leader? Uh, being a CEO is a really weird job. It doesn't really come with a job description. Mm-hmm. So it kind of comes with, there's like, there's two levels to it. There's one is, I saw this chart the other day, which was the higher up an organization goes, the more admin crap you deal with on a daily basis, <laughs> which is not what I thought was going to happen. Right. Uh, if you, If I don't sign the lease, if I don't like negotiate the HR contract or this or that, like the whole organization falls apart. So like there's the urgent, not less important things that I need to do. And then the hardest part is the less urgent, much more important, like strategic messaging, building a culture Mm -hmm. and focusing on my people. So I focus as much time on -on one-on-ones and being with my people as I can. I think Let's go back just one quick second to the people first strategy. What does it mean when to bring it to life? Mm-hmm. It means thinking about your calendar as a budget. And so if you say that you're people first and I look at your calendar and half of it isn't one-on-ones and meetings with your internal teams, that's probably not your priority. Your probably is, priority is probably sales, even though you're saying to yourself that it is. So to me, allocating as much time to coach up my team and also make sure that they have the resources they need and I'm removing blockers as my number one priority. And number two after that is focusing on the visioning and the messaging of the company and uh, being the face of getting ourselves out there. Do you have any particular strategy, Steve, that you're using to, um, you know, for succession, development, leadership, planning, anything like that in the company? Less so. My my strategy is to bring on the best executive team that I can. We have never had one person turnover from my executive team since I took it over five years ago, Terrific. which I'm deeply proud of. Yeah. Uh, I want, yeah, I'm deeply proud of this team. Each one of them is capable of running a thirty to fifty million dollar division of this company, uh, and so I want to make sure we have as many capable leaders as possible. And uh, mm-hmm. if I get hit by a sure. bus uh, at this point. Versus five years ago, I'm uh, I'm much less concerned that it won't continue the way it is. And that's, that's really fantastic to hear. I love that. Um, so at least from your your internal full time staff, the ones that you have in town here, um, did the pandemic require you to adjust your business, how you do business, and 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 if so, what kind of changes? What if any of the changes are permanent? 
I was pretty lucky. We used to come into the office. Everyone in the in the Denver metro area would, or Denver Boulder, we were in Boulder before, would mm-hmm. come to the office on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and those would be the days we had all of our meetings and we saw each sure. other and all the all the social stuff happened. Um, so we were already sixty percent remote, um, which meant that going remote was not so hard, and our Slack channels were mm-hmm. already really robust. We were using mm-hmm. like wasn't that hard except for those uh, extroverts amongst us who suffer from not being with our colleagues. And I think the, yeah, that would be me, man, the lack of brainstorming and yeah. new ideas that come yeah. out, everything on zoom is so prescriptive. You know exactly what's going to happen in a meeting. You write an agenda and everyone's very purposeful and focused, but you lose the magic of what ideas did you not come up with? Cause you didn't think of talking about them. So our lives are pretty easy. My lease situation was awful. We ended up paying two leases at the same time that we weren't using and Ouch. we all had, we all suffered, but at the same time our business, we rode a really lucky wave. The first 2 months were really were really tough. And then content marketing became one of the most successful and only marketing channels out there. So it really helped fuel us for the year and uh, if you're going to be suffering through an awful year, uh, it's really nice when your company is doing pretty well while that's happening and I got a really firsthand view of watching how many small businesses had to leave us. We lost a ton of clients, like 20% in our first two months. And it was excruciating to watch what they were going through because they'd leave messages of why they were leaving. Like pandemic pandemic killed our business. We just can't continue to operate. Ugh, Pretty hard crush. So makes you even more grateful and also empathetic and feeling how much pain is out there. Was there, is there any common denominator among that 20%, the businesses, the type of businesses they were in? Oh yeah. Uh, small and services. What kind of services? Oh, anything that's people services, anything that, yeah. Anything that touches people. Cause they're always, the, they're always the ones that get the, uh, that get for, cut first. They're a luxury item yeah. and they're in, sorry, they're a luxury item and they're in person and they're in person. So anything that anything, yeah, you know, all the ones that went down travel, of course, all of, Mm-hmm. I, I won't say anything. Hospitality, it. travel, yeah. yeah, you know, entertainment. Anybody, anything that requires somebody to go in a door. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Okay, so um, uh, to to come back to this, if you know uh, somebody wants to interested in working for your company, tell us what your website is, where they should go. Sure. There's a few places you can find us. You can find us at verblio.com. Verb. LIO.com. Uh, lots of information there. You can go to this, uh, the about us page. If you're looking for job opportunities, you can go to the writer page. If you're interested in being a writer, mm-hmm. uh, you can follow uh, me or, or connect with me on LinkedIn at Spock Ross, S P O C K R O S S. I'm the only one out there. Uh, and if you're interested in our podcast, my podcast is the yes and marketing show. And it's a big picture, big picture approach to marketing. The great ideas, can, great inspiration can come from anywhere. And we mm-hmm. have great marketers and business leaders every week to see what they can inspire us to do differently. Yeah, I was, I was actually able to, uh, I was had hoped to listen to more. I was able to catch one of your, one of your interviews. So it's, it, I can say it's a really interesting podcast. Certainly. Um, so. Well, Steve Pacross, CEO of Verblio, I, uh, I can't thank you enough for being with me today. Uh, I'm sure our audience will be just tickled pink to hear this interview and, you know, maybe you'll pick up a few new clients. Wouldn't that be fantastic? (laughs) Always nice, but I hope hope we added some value. Thanks for doing what you do. And thanks for having me on the show. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And 
If you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com, or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.